Hey everyone, welcome to Security Squawk, episode number, are we at the five now? Five? Yeah, yeah, five. Episode number five, today is January 8th, 2021. Happy New Year, this is our first one this year, right? Yeah, happy New Year. So we closed out 2020, starting out our, our new podcast, and uh, we look forward to knocking out 52 uh, more episodes here in 2021. Um, how was your How was your holiday, Andre? Uh, it was uh, It was great. I spent time with the family. Got to uh, see some fireworks and be outside. So it was It was awesome. And the weather's still good over here. Fireworks for I guess New Year's, right? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, we have fireworks everywhere around us. Seems like that's the, that was the thing to do. Um, the only thing to do. Instead of everybody going out and partying, everybody went to the fireworks store and loaded up. And probably started around 7, 8 o'clock. And I was like, oh, man, how late is this going to go till? It went until about 1. So it wasn't that bad. All right. So uh, anything interesting you want to share with our, our listening audience about your business, anything interesting happened? So I started new year, new goals, and I got my little sheet right here, all the things. So basically, um, I write down prior to the me coming to the office, like so basically at the end of the day, I, I basically write down what I need to get done for tomorrow. And then when I come in the office, I don't look at my emails, I don't look at my Microsoft Teams, and I basically just knock it out that way. So that's been working well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you're focused on, do you break, how do you do your goal setting? Do you kind of pick two or three objectives or? Um, well, as far as the goals. So in this list that I have here, I have like two big goals, which is like, I need to get this done by the end of the month. And mm -hmm. then just three, three smaller ones. I got to send out a quote. I got to go visit a client. I got to make a phone call or whatever the case is. But it's just so that, by the time I sit in the morning before I open up the emails and get lost in the emails, those items get done. So that way I don't have someone calling me. Yeah. Okay. I got you. So I do goal setting a little, little, a little different. Um, I pick two or three quarterly objectives. Um, usually, usually pick, two or three for the company. And then I pick two or three for myself and like my personal goals. Mm -hmm. um, and then I kind of use that, those three goals to, to plan out my, my day and my week. Um, so I sit down on Sunday and I plan, I look at everything that I've scheduled out on my Outlook calendar for the, for the week. And I take the time to adjust things, move things. If I have to cancel meetings that, you know, if, if something doesn't get me towards my goal, there's a very good chance that I'm going to try to remove that or cancel that on Sunday when I when I review. Uh, and then I do the same thing, you know, the the, eve, the evening before or the morning of the morning of when I wake up, um, depending on what's going on in my life. And then I just look at my calendar and just make sure that my activities line up with with my goals. Okay. So that's kind of how I've been operating for about the last two years. I started doing that. Um, and it's interesting because I've, you know, I go, I am uh, uh, a uh, proud uh, student of Sandler sales training and I'm in their organizational excellence program. And that's one of the things that, that we covered this year as part of goal setting is that exact exercise as I spelled it out. And, Thankfully, I was already doing it, so I didn't have to really adjust like the rest of the people who are in the program with me. Um, I kind of was already doing it that way. So I find I find it works really well for me, especially as I'm moving more into, you know, that that visionary type role in the company uh, versus getting involved in, in the day to day uh, stuff that goes on here. So mm -hmm. so I don't know if that helps anybody, but, um, you know. That's how I I do goal setting, and obviously you. I used to do it like you, um, especially when I had a lot of clients to visit and stuff like that. Um, I absolutely used, used to kind of get the things out of the way first, make sure I get 
my two or three objectives done early on and then go on with the rest of my day. Um, either one works. You just got to find out what works for you um, and where you're at in your business. So, awesome. so yeah, so I don't, I don't have anything tremendously exciting to, to, uh, to report. Uh, I don't think so. Anyway, um, we're doing a lot of good stuff here. Um, uh, you know, we are, um, we're just really hardcore, just going crazy into marketing right now. So, um, changing up campaigns from what we did last quarter, um, you know, setting the stage for, you know, what, what we hope to be is, uh, a really good first quarter here in 2021. Um, going after some, some new markets for us, things like that, changing it up. Um, you know, cybersecurity services for, for different markets and, and verticals and things like that, that we're focusing on this quarter. That's really all, all I've been involved with this week. And, um, you know, we got new clients coming on board, all that good stuff. So everything's, everything's moving in, in the right direction. Fortunately, I don't get involved in a lot of that stuff anymore. So, um, my team handles a lot of that. So, so that's really it. Nothing, nothing too exciting. Uh, this this week so hopefully i'll have more next week so um the uh so let's jump into uh, to our first uh our topic of discussion which sure. is, uh, i think an article article you shared with me uh that uh has to do with the task force the ransomware task force <laughs> however you want to term it so it seems like Microsoft, McAfee, and a few others want to join together to try to put the kibosh on ransomware. So why don't you talk to me a little bit about this, and, and then we'll jump into a discussion, and I'll maybe share some opinions that I have around it. Yeah, so as we know, the, the technology industry right now, the, the hackers are kicking our butt with this ransomware. And essentially um, what we are now seeing is that we're having Microsoft and McAfee, they're not competitors by any means. One does operating systems, one does you know antivirus and security, but they are basically coming in together and saying, hey, we need to work together. We need to find a way where we as an industry can now fight against this ransomware attack because our users are, which is you know what they care about, is being affected and, and this we, we got to figure out a way to stop. So that's essentially what they're talking about here. And I believe it's called the Ransomware Task Force, the RTF. And um, different companies, about 19 companies, are going to get together and maybe try to make an industry standard, try to, you know, uh, maybe they even see things wrong with how other companies are doing it, doing things and may say, OK, look, let's try to have it done this way. And then that way, this is just like another layer of security. So um, it's great, in my opinion, that these um, these companies are, are talking to each other and getting together. Um, because I think that's what us, uh, that's what the technology industry needs. You know, we need to figure out a way that everybody is rolling the same way and going the same direction. And, and hopefully these hackers, uh, have a way where they, they can no longer get in. Yeah. They, it's, it's interesting. Um, because these companies are, are oh, talking to each other. Yeah. It's interesting to me, um, because there's definitely uh, my view that, that this is a team sport, that cybersecurity is a team sport. So or we can work together to try to you know, defeat this is um, it's a way we're going to figure it out, I think. But what, what I mean, I don't know. I'm a little I'm a little bit of a skeptic. I don't know if we really can figure this out this seems very pie in the sky to me so what are you what are your thoughts i mean, i think it's a, it's a definitely a step in the right direction especially since we're not really getting too much from our government right now as far as regulation but it's like anything you know you have um for example you have the border patrol and they started to put you know fences and walls and things like that and what did the what did the bad guys do? They, they found another way to get in. Now they're doing tunnels. Now they're doing drones. 
but I but I think and personally, I think it's a it's a step in the right direction. Uh, but unfortunately, hackers are going to find a way to get in one way or another. Right. That's that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, you take. I mean, even if you do get get rid of ransomware, there's going to be something else. I mean, I've been in with. I've been. You know, working with computers since I was probably 13 years old. Um, the better part of 30 years now. There's always been something to follow on something. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean, it's not like we didn't have malware and viruses and Trojans and rootkits before ransomware. We had that stuff. It just wasn't, it was almost like, I guess the difference between everything prior to ransomware was it was more of a nuisance. Mm -hmm. And now it's more of a money-making thing for these hackers, right? People weren't installing rootkits on systems in 2002 to get paid. They were installing, they were just doing it to do it. Um, and now it's become a, a, a very lucrative business. Yeah. Uh, and it's going to continue to do so, but I, you know, I just have a really deep understanding of how computers work and how software works and how operating systems work. And I just don't see how you're going to accomplish something like this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause you still need all of this stuff to work together. Hardware needs to work with software. There's always going to be a way to disrupt something. Um, you know, you think of this stuff outside of computers and just think about devices, just think about things that don't have like windows or Linux or Mac on them. Those things can be hacked. They can have, you know, rootkits and, and be reprogrammed to do things that are malicious or cause it not to operate. And then, what's to stop? Okay. So it's not ransomware, but now you can't, as we talked about in our, I think our last podcast, now you can't open your front door. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, you know, I liken this to, I, we talked about this in the green room. I liken this to the, the CFO at Cloudflare who came out and said, you know, cyber security is not going to exist as we know it in 10 years. Um, you know, that they're going to, put some filter on everybody's internet that's going to make it super safe and that people aren't going to have to worry about getting hacked. And, it, you know, as soon as she said that, I was like, like, this is either she's trying to sell, sell this company, like they're doing something great with R and D and behind the scenes, or she just has no clue. Yeah. Cause if you really had, a fundamental understanding of how this technology all really works and, and things work together. Um, <clears throat> 10 years is a really short time frame, And what she promised, um, you know, I that's going out on a huge limb, in my opinion. Um, and I and I kind of see this as the same way, like they're going to work together to try to stop it. But at the end of the day, Microsoft's the biggest player in this game. It's their operating system that's able to be exploit it and, and ransomware occurs on. So, you know, you know, you know, the only thing McAfee can do, in my opinion, is tell Microsoft, like, <laughs> build an operating system where <laughs> they can't run this stuff. Right. Do this stuff. I mean, we know how to lock down Windows systems to make sure that hackers can't use them as a tool to to further their attacks. That's, that's what we know how to do here at our company. And there's a lot of things that we do to Windows systems to make sure hackers can't do what, what they normally do when they jump on systems. Um, you know, for example, one of the things you can do is most of your users don't need what's called PowerShell. Guess mm -hmm. what? Windows PowerShell runs on every computer, comes pre-installed. It's just there. You can use it. If you have admin rights, you can use it. And like most home users will have admin rights on their system. And if a hacker has access to something like PowerShell, they can do a lot of damage 
as opposed to if it wasn't there. And it's a simple, you know, two or three lines of code that you need to change that prevents PowerShell from even running on, on Windows systems. Yeah. And now you've just taken away a tool that a hacker can't use to do something and your end user wouldn't use it anyway. You know, it's a it's a tool for IT people to use to to maintain systems and and do things, um, you know, a little a little more efficient than we have had to do them in the past. So that's a, you know the purpose of PowerShell and things like that. So, um, you know, those are the things I look at. And the, you know, the, honestly, there's a lot that Microsoft can do with their existing platform to at least let people know, hey, if you leave this here, you leave this on, you just you know, for my thing is like something like PowerShell, that should be something that should have to be like somebody should know that that's on their system. And like you don't have to have it on there. It's not really necessary um, for most of the users that are out there, especially home users. Um, unless you're like an IT person or you're a technical person, you don't really need it. So why not when Windows loads up, you give the person the option to disable it? Or you yeah. disable by default, and then a technical person is going to know how to go in and turn that on. Um, you know, as long as they have the right privileges. But no, Microsoft shifts ships Windows with PowerShell installed, enabled, ready to fire up. All you got to do is type in PowerShell, and boom, it opens up, and you can start using it to manipulate and change your system. So, you know. It, I think it all falls on Microsoft to to do more and do better, but you know, you know that's just my opinion on that. So you want to you want to add anything to my rant there? <laughs> no, it actually makes perfect sense. Like when you turn on the computer, it could say something like, "We've noticed that this is going to be used for your home," for example. And yep. then from there, uh, by default, these are turned off for your security. And then maybe they have a little option on the bottom right, and then they can from there enable it. But if the typical person just clicks next, 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 then boom, it's deep, it's it's that it's there. And even make them as a local as a as a local user, not an admin. And then say if you need to log in as an admin, here's the second step that you have to do in order. You know, so who knows? Maybe uh, these nineteen these uh, eighteen companies they're just trying to get Microsoft in a room, and they're just gonna <laughs> put the hammer on them and say, hey. You know, now that we got you cornered, you know, this is our demands. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, but I doubt that that's how it's going to go down. Yeah. Um, if anything, it's probably just a PR thing to make it seem like they're actually doing something. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, so moving on. Uh, so we got this article here from, um, I guess it's Vice. Yeah. Uh, and and it's their motherboard, which is their tech section, and it brings up an interesting point. And we're not going to get political here. Um, obviously, it's no secret that we had um, some uh, American citizens took it upon themselves to trespass into the Capitol building right before the. Um, Congress was about to vote on the certification of the uh, recent presidential election. And in that process, obviously, we know that the, the uh, group of people, whether you want to dub them rioters or uh, whatever, um, obviously, we saw on CNN, they were breaking windows and damaging things and stealing things and walking out of the building with things and I think I saw a guy steal some mail from uh, Nancy Pelosi's office. And now we have uh, reports coming out that, you know, I don't know if I don't, you, you probably know more about this than I do, but I don't know if it's whether or not they sat down at the computers and were actually using them or people just noticed that the computers were unlocked after the people were in the office and left. So, um, let's talk about this a little bit. What do you know about what happened here and why is this, why, why, why is this important? Why should people be aware that, um, you know, this went on number one from, I guess, a 
I guess a homeland security type of perspective, but then also like, why should like a business owner care that, you know, this, what happened here, um, they, why should they care? Why should they put things in place to make sure that, um, you know, computers aren't left open when there's like an emergency and people have to evacuate a building and things like that. So what do you know about this, uh, this article here and what happened on Wednesday. Yeah, so there's some more information, not necessarily this article, but another one that I saw. And you had two scenarios. You had you did have some scenarios where basically there was like laptops, um, you know, you have staffers, you have the congressmen and women. And when they went to the chambers, they left their laptop on their desk because who would have thought otherwise, right? Mm-hmm. But then you did have some other scenarios where because the uh, these people uh, went into the Capitol and, you know, the staffers are like, you know, oh, crap, I need to evacuate. So, of course, they just leave their laptop as is. And maybe they didn't have a policy where uh, within X amount of minutes it locks or a screensaver where a lock comes on. So you did have some apparently there was um, in some instances where the laptops were just left open because the person just was told to evacuate. And, and that that's what happened. Mm-hmm. So um, a few things with that, you know, that that tells you that, um, again, it's just, I guess the government just doesn't surprise us anymore. But you would think that if there was some type of emergency, if there was some type of breach, I personally think that there should have been someone that presses a red button that basically locks all the computers, you know, or, or something like that. Um, also, there should be policies that after you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever, you know, the, the industry is and whatever the company is or entity is that the, 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 the computer should just have a lock screen, right? When you're not using it and it becomes idle, a screen service should come on. And then the only way you can get back into it is by typing in the password. And then also another picture that I saw was that the, like, they just have like, they have desktops. And the desktops is like, it was just sitting on, I mean, it was neatly placed and everything, but it was sitting on the floor. It didn't seem like there was any lock. So who knows what these people just w- decided to walk out of. It's chaos, you know? So who knows? Hmm. Yeah. So why should the average business owner, like what, what's important for, for somebody in a business to understand here and why and what happened here. Cause yeah, you leave your computer, you get up from your computer, you leave it unlocked. Um, you know, I, we're, we have a lot, we've, I've had a lot of conversations with people over the years where, you know, they, they you know, they get up to go to the bathroom or they get up to get a cup of coffee. They don't want to have to come back and type in their password. Um, why, you know, explain to our audience why that's important to have a, a screen lock on and make sure that, that that number isn't like a half hour and it's only just a few minutes. Um, I mean, if, just for this example here, it's because you um, you never know who's coming behind you, either if you're you're in an office building where there's many cubicles or if, you know, it's five o'clock, everybody leaves at the end of the day, housekeeping comes in. You don't really know who they are. They're just taking out the trash. They see the computer. They have a flash drive. You have your files, your shared calendars. Um, God forbid you're using Google Chrome Manager and they can just click there to see the passwords or type, you know, just type any word they're looking for on your search, your search bar. So it's just your, I mean, it's like you spent all of this money making sure that you have firewalls, making sure you have the best antivirus, making sure you have the best systems but then you left the front door locked, uh, unlocked. Yeah. And it's, it, it's one of those things too, where you, you look at this and it's, you know, it's, it, it's like, this could never happen to us. We're never going to be sitting in our, our, you know, 15 person accounting firm and have somebody come in the front door with, you know, threat making threats, or maybe they have a weapon and, um, you know, the whole entire office has to run out quickly. And I mean, you know, just think about it. If, if, uh, if somebody walked in the front door of your office with a gun, you're not going to remember to hit control <laughs> in space bar, you know, right. I mean? um, you know, and nor should you. Um, so 
having a mechanism in place, like you said, to make sure that those computers get locked. Uh, and you're absolutely 100% right that, that this particular facility should have some kind of uh, a system where if it doesn't lock the computer, it at least shuts everything down. Right. Like they just shut it down. Right. Um, you know, because you like you don't know if if I can bust in your front door and get to your computer in less than five minutes, I don't need to worry about your screen going on an automatic lock. And then I just keep moving your mouse and mm -hmm. have access to the computer. So, you know, in, in certain facilities, you're going to want to have some kind of a kill switch. Uh, which is absolutely, you know, our tools can do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we can shut down machines, um, you know, and, and we've done that for clients, you know, when they've had mass firings or something like that, we've gone in and shut down the machines of the people who were getting called into HR just so, you know, they couldn't do anything. And then the other side of that is you mentioned it locks on, on these devices. Like, you know, one thing, it's one thing to have, you know, to not have BitLocker turned on, which if people don't know what BitLocker is, that's uh, encryption on your hard drive so that if somebody actually steals your computer and let's say they turn it on and they can't log in because you have a good password and they're not really that savvy, so they don't know how to reset the system. Um, you know, you don't want somebody getting your data because they can just pull out the hard drive. And that's where data or drive encryption protects you in that you know if they can't access the system through normal means they can't just pull the hard drive out and start you know plug that into another computer and start looking through your files and, and getting your information um so that's what bitlocker does so if you don't if you have that turned on and somebody yanks your computer you better hope they can't log into it otherwise yeah. they're going to get to your data and if they can log into it, or they can log into it they're getting to your data if they can't log into it a lot of people will pull the drives out. And if you have BitLocker on, they can, they won't be able to read that drive. But if you had a, a simple $15 lock on the computer, mm -hmm. $15 lock on the computer, they wouldn't have been able to take the computer in the first place. Um, and a lot of people don't go that far with their security and think about the physical side of things and think about uh, people coming in the door and taking the equipment um, and, a, and a lock can really, you know, is if somebody's just think about if somebody broke into your building and they're just trying to get whatever they can as quick as they can before the cops show up. If they have a lock on a computer, do you think they're going to sit there and fuss with that lock for 20 minutes trying to figure out how to crack it or rip it off? No, they're just going to get something else. And, and just even going back to $15 lock, look in, in my office here in Miami, we have four locks on our door. So we have a lock, your, your, your standard lock that the landlord get, gave us, right, to get into the office. Then we have another one to get into our main office. Then where we keep our equipment, like when we purchase uh, equipment for clients, but we're either setting it up or, or it's going to be um, uh, delivered to them. We put that back in a box and we put it in a lock room. And inside that lock room, there's another cage in there that's locked. I mean, like we lock our stuff. So for for and I'm not trying to play Monday morning quarterback because obviously nobody expected this. But you would think the speaker of the house, Pelosi, and somebody is just like the doors open, like like she doesn't lock, like there's not a door that closes behind her that locks. And in order for her to get her office, she has to use her fingerprint or something. Is like her door was open. So it just, it's like, it just, wow. So this is also, this also uh, article also goes on to kind of say here that, um, you know, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to spew out too many opinions here, but this particular statement here, finally, I do think there's also the potential to implant malware on the internal network via one of these systems since there was physical access, he added. I mean, that begs a question. You know, did somebody really go there with the forethought that, like, I'm going to throw this malware on my on this USB drive just in the event that I happen to get access to a computer? I'm going to pop malware on it? I mean... 
I don't know. I think that's a low probability event. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's just that's but, kind of all I'm, all I'm thinking there. Um, low probability, but it's one of those things that like, and, and I think it, it's a good example of where you still have to plan. You have to assume like this. These are the things now with cybersecurity. You have to assume you have to assume someone is already in your you have to assume the housekeeper, for example, or the person that cleans is the hacker. So how are you going to make sure that, that the one time the you know that the housekeeper comes and they have access to somebody's computer that you've done everything you can to make sure that that housekeeper doesn't get into that computer. So, and then and then there's this tweet here from this uh, person who's saying they were a former HPSCI staffer. It says uh, congressional offices deal in unclassified information. Most of things they deal with are open source. Now. And classified information dealt with in designated congressional SCIFs, no indication that those were breached. Now, what she's saying is, is there's these separate rooms with separate computers that these people go in to access classified information. Awesome. So, and they weren't breached. But I'm going to tell you right now, I worked in the government. I know what goes on. Classified information does make it over on the non-classified systems. Happens Hmm. all the time. We know that this happens. It's come out in investigations with like Hillary Clinton's email server and stuff like that. Um, stuff does does get moved over and goes into systems it shouldn't be. But not only that, I'm sure there's conversations that are not considered of classified in nature that are somewhat sensitive that are on these systems as well. So, I mean... I know you want to reassure people that there's these separate rooms and separate systems, but it's not black and white. There's a yep. lot of gray there with these systems and, and, the, and the sensitive things. So then the article goes on to kind of talk about, and I want to get your opinion on this. Um, a lot of these security experts that they're talking to, talking to in this article that they cite as sources or as experts for their opinion like this one guy says, if it were my shop, I'd throw everything, including the kitchen sink at this, meaning wipe everything, change passwords, change usernames, um, you know, personal devices, things like that. Um, another guy from uh, uh, UK spy agency, former staffer, says eventually uh, they'll need to ask some tough questions like why screens in auto lock. And whether or not uh, they had things like disk, disk encryption and making IT systems more robust to being uh, physically unattended. Uh, but people matter more than computers and getting everyone to safety was the right priority, which is, right. is the right thing there. So what do you think about um, wiping everything from this? Like, what, do you think that's the right next step for the IT folks over in that building, you know, is that, you know, what's your opinion there? I would, uh, that's that's a good question because I mean, if there's a camera, let's just say maybe there's not one in her room for privacy reasons, but if there's like the general staffer and there's a camera right there, I would just, let's watch the camera before we have IT spend four hours on a reload or, or spending the money to do a, to do um, to get a new computer. But if there if there was evidence that someone was in that room and there was no screensaver or for whatever reason, you know, screensaver was 15 minutes. And yeah, I think at this stage, I, I would just do it. Yes, I, I would do it. And especially to the government, they have the resource, they have the manpower. I'm going to say manpower. They have the manpower, they have the resource. Yeah, just do it. It's better to be safe than, than sorry, especially with what we're seeing with that. I mean, just imagine four years from now, we're, we're talking about an article about, hey, remember that capital breach? Well, yeah, there was actually, you know, a, a, a spy and he was part of the group and he stuck in their flash drive. And for the last four years, then they've seen everything the capital has done. So, so yeah, I, yeah, I think so too. If they don't have, uh, if they don't have the right technology in place that tells them like somebody was on this computer for this long and this is what they did, you know, you can, you can, 
you know the person who's assigned to the computer. You can say, were you were you on your computer from, you know, whatever time the riot was happening, right? And say, were you on your computer at this time? No, I wasn't. Well, you know, now we have the evidence that somebody was on your computer and this is what they were doing. Um, and that'll start to lead you to whether or not um, you, you should wipe the systems or not, or maybe just certain systems of maybe some offices that you know that were breached. Um, but, you know, why this is important and why, why we're talking about this for the, you know, the average business owner is look at the two different scenarios. Because if you don't have the things in place like logging and monitoring to know who's doing what on your systems, you don't know what they're doing. So you have to go nuclear on your network. Yeah, You have to blow everything up. So, you know, it's that, that, you know, ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. I say that all the time in this business. It, it applies here too. You, you could pay a, a fraction of the cost of what it's going to cost you to go nuclear to get that monitoring and to get that, you know, knowledge that who's on what system at what time and what exactly what they're doing on that system. So then you can determine, okay, this system, somebody was on it unauthorized for this period of time, but we know what they did because we have the logging. They didn't install malware. They just read your email for 25 minutes, right? So if you know that, then you can deal with that. But if you don't know that, then you have to assume the worst. Yeah. So if you're a business owner and you do have some kind of a breach or you have an employee who does something and you can't prove it and you didn't have the forethought to put certain monitoring software in place uh, to the level that you need to know this information. Because, yeah, there's all different kinds of levels of monitoring software out there. There's monitoring software that will tell you everything that somebody does on a computer. And there's monitoring software that will tell you basic high-level information. And you won't get enough detail that you need. And there's a major cost between the two. But no matter which option you pick, it's a fraction of the cost of what it's going to cost to go nuclear and, and resolve this issue after the event occurred. Yeah. So, you know, that's why we, we wanted to talk about this this particular article and, and kind of get into a little deep dive about it so people start to understand that all these little things do matter. The little things matter, especially in cybersecurity, and doing all the little things right, even when an event happens, it makes what you need to do in your response less. Yeah. So it's not, you know, no one's going to sit here and tell you doing all the cybersecurity stuff is going to protect you, but it's absolutely going to be less costly of an event for you if you do things on the front side versus needing to do everything on the back side. Yep. So, all right. So moving on. Last oh, 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 I'm sorry. One more thing. You got more? No. Yeah. One more thing. There was just an interesting quote that they said here. Let me get it real quick. Oh, right there, where it says, oh, you just had it, where it says, but, yeah, just leave it right there. It says, but people matter more than computers. And I remember reversing that saying that says, and tell me if I'm wrong, Brian, that it's the saying that says, um, oh, I'm drawing a blank, convenience matters more than security. Today, yeah. Yeah. Because I, I don't agree with the statement, but can no, no, I don't agree with it either. Yeah, but I, I've had clients where they've said, "Hey, mm-hmm. this 15-minute lockout is annoying the CEO. It needs to be 30, or it needs to be an hour, or you know, whatever the case is." And even I remember one time we had a client. You know, the on the when someone emails you outside of your organization and yeah. you put the, the header, and for us we put like um, external, be, yeah, yeah, external, yeah. Be very careful. Blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And the client wanted us to just put the word external, and that was it. Because on their cell phones, they weren't able to preview the message because mm-hmm. they yeah. kept on getting that. Right. So, and it was so funny because the main guy who complained about it, 
end up getting a phishing email and, and then, you know, and then falling for it. You know, he fell for the phishing because he didn't see the whole thing. So it's like, it's so crazy. Yeah, I, we've, 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 we've definitely dealt with our fair share of those types of things. Everything from screen locks to I don't want to have to use a password manager because I, I you know, I, I, I'm fine with remembering my passwords. Um, you know, and to, I don't want to use complex passwords. Like yeah. I want to be able to use my dog's name and, you know, the year I was born. Um, you know, we, we've gotten it all, you know, when you, when you introduce things that people, you know, in their defense for 15 years, they've been able to do whatever they want on computers. And now we're coming in and we're saying, you can't do that no more. Right. So, um, you know, you got to educate your audience. You got to educate your clients. You got to make them understand because uh, that's really it's it's you know, it's not that they don't want to do it. It's they don't understand the reasoning behind it. And if you give them the reasoning and show them some examples of why using it poorly or using, you know, doing cybersecurity poorly is a bad idea. Most people are going to take a second look and go, oh, you know what, I better, you know, listen to my doctor here and, and, and do what he's prescribing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's a great point and, you know, interesting to see what comes out of this and what they end up doing. So yeah. hopefully we can provide an update to everyone in a couple months. So this is an interesting one and this, I wanted to talk about this one because it's a little, this is one that hits home a little bit and, and, and if we read between the lines, we can figure a lot of things out with this particular situation. Um, but unfortunately, it looks like I guess this is Erie, Pennsylvania. I'm not sure. I don't know of any other Eries. Um, yeah, there's a Pennsylvania thing at the top. So Erie News Now covered this story about a woman who is a Fifth Third Bank uh, customer. And I guess they partner up with Zelle for... Uh, sending payments. I think everybody's pretty familiar with Zelle if they have a bank account. Um, and they stole $2,000 from her bank account and they won't give it back to her. And, then, and we try to educate everybody and let them know that, you know, banking fraud is not like credit card fraud. You know, if somebody gets in your bank account or if you ACH or wire somebody money, the bank does not have to give that back to you. Yeah. Um, now the bank does have the burden of proof to prove that they were in the only reason a bank has to give you back money is if the bank was the one who messed up. So if they set it to the wrong account or if, if, if they allowed somebody to get money from your account without your authorization, then the bank has to give you your money back. But if, you send if you type in somebody's bank account into the form and you send the money or if somebody logs into your bank account because they stole your username or password and they do it as if they were you it's the same thing you're initiating the action and you're the one who puts in the information and sends off sends off the money. So she's not getting her money back from the bank and she's all upset about it to the point where she freaked out on Facebook. They blocked her on social media. Um, I think it was Zell blocked her. Um, and she's obviously crying, crying and complaining that Zell is not working with her. Um, and she, you know, obviously it's a frustrating situation, but um the, the article doesn't really say specifically how they got into her account, but share with our audience how, how you and I think she got they got into her account. Oh, she uses the same password for everything. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So this is the reason why you don't use the same password for everything. Or the other thing could be maybe she doesn't use the same password for everything. Maybe she uses a close variation. Right. But she probably never changed a password that is now available on the dark web. Yeah. So there's probably a password that she uses associated with her email address on the dark web available for free for anybody to get access to. And it's all 
see what happens out there, folks, is hackers create these things called bots. Bots are things that run automatically. And all they do is they say, you can program a bot. You can program a bot to trade stocks for you. Okay. You don't have to be a hacker. Anybody can use bots and bots can be used for, for anything. They can be used for, you know, the chat boxes on websites and autoresponders. I'm sure you've dealt with a major corporation and wanted to go to their support and you saw they had a chat option. You probably clicked on it and realized you're talking to a machine and not a person. Mm -hmm. um, that's a bot. And you can create bots to pretty much do anything you want. If you're really good at, you know, programming and bot creation, but you can also create bots to log into Fifth Third Bank every 45 minutes with a different username and password until you crack into somebody's account. So somebody creates a bot, they tell it, you know, you, you don't have to pick Fifth Third. You could probably pick 20 different banks if you want. If you're targeting one person and you say, okay, I have a valid set of credentials, username and password, Mr. Bot, I want you to go to all, you know, 30, the top 30 major banks in the United States, I want you to log in on their homepage. And obviously you have to program all this stuff in. I'm just giving you the cliff notes of how this goes down. But you program into the system all the websites that you wanted to try to log into. And then you you give it, you know, a, a variation dictionary to kind of run that password through different variations. And you send that bot on its way. And you said it wouldn't work. When you're when you successfully log into the account, send me an email. And then all you gotta do is let that thing run. And you could have that thing running on thousands of people. And it's that's what happened here. This woman, they probably ran some kind of a system to log into Fifth Third Bank. They log in and they get into her account. They can go into Zelle, send a payment to an email address that they control. In this case, it was an Indiana University. Um, school email address. Uh, the school has been contacted. They don't know if the actual student was the one who was involved or his account was compromised, which is very common for um, university email accounts to become compromised. Because I know that when I graduated college, one of the things that they said is you get to keep this email address forever. Right. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure it's still an email address today. I don't know. I haven't logged into it. But that's a really bad policy for universities to keep active email accounts that nobody logs into forever and ever and ever because it just opens things up like this. Because now, you know, Joe Schmo, who graduated from University of Indiana in 2006, and he had his user. He, he had an email address and username compromised on the dark web. It's just a smorgasbord of cr compromised credentials that created the, created this whole thing for somebody. Mm -hmm. Right. So they were able to use compromised credentials to log into the receiver of the money's account. And then they were also able to, you know, do the same thing to this woman. And that's, you know, that's how all this stuff goes down. And that's why password managers, monitoring the dark web, all this stuff it matters. You can't just use a password manager. You can't just monitor the dark web. You can't just turn two-factor on and assume you're okay. You need to do everything. Everything needs to be on. Everything needs to be utilized. And that's how you protect yourself from this stuff. At some, if you only have one trap set, a hacker's more than likely going to get through one trap. But if you have three, four, five, six, seven things set up where you're making their life difficult, number one, they're probably just going to move on unless you're a whale, somebody they really want to get after. They're going to move on to somebody else and use somebody else's credentials that they don't have to do all this stuff for. Um, you know, so you know and, and the other part of this is is that you're just making it super super easy for these guys to 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 hack you if you don't do this stuff and you know that's that's the important thing i think i want people to know out of this particular one is you guys have to understand how important it is to not use the same password start using a password manager and they go on your credit card company there's tons of services out there 
that will allow you to see if your information is on the dark web yeah. if it is identify it and recognize those passwords and make sure that you go and try to change those passwords on as many accounts as you can. And that's the nice thing about a password manager. You you can easily look up where that password is being used on what website. If you don't have a password manager, you have no clue what websites contain that password because you're just not going to remember. So, you know, what do you want to add to uh, this little situation? Actually, uh, the other day I went to Naples um, visiting my brother. Uh, that was during Christmas break. And we were talking about ordering something and he needed something. So I, I was like, hey, you can go ahead and use my Amazon account. But I didn't have my laptop and I don't have the, the Amazon app on my phone. Yeah. So I went on his computer. I, I actually didn't memorize the password of my Amazon. And I typed it in on his computer thinking like, okay, I'm about to get a text message. I actually like literally went in my pocket thinking that because I'm in Naples and I'm logging into Amazon on my brother's computer, I'm going to get a, a six-digit code just because it would have maybe said, hey, look, you usually log in in Miami, but now you're in Naples. Is this really you? And nope, it let me right in. And I was amazed at that. So, so, I would I'll, so I'm going to yell at you right now. You need to turn 2FA with the authenticator app on your on your app. oh yeah 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 absolutely but i was just so surprised that and maybe that's something that those 19 companies need to talk about and start pointing fingers at everybody like look we need to do at least a location uh you know if it's 20 miles outside this person's zone that they normally travel and all of a sudden someone in boston is trying to log into an amazon account you know that's how it does work but Maybe the geographic distance just wasn't great. Uh, I see. Yeah. You know I mean, if you were if you were you know flew to Philly, I'm sure that would have triggered it. But you know, I you know because you're so close, you just never know. Um, and Naples, you know, I I kind of know Florida a little bit. And Naples is built up, but it's still on that West Coast side. Yeah. Internet services aren't real aren't that great over there, right? So, yeah. um, you know, I, I know, I know my parents live over on that side or, you know, part okay. of the year and th their choices for internet are not great. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's kind of, you, you deal with that too, but, um, you know, from, for, yeah, for your sake, make sure you go into your, your Amazon account and turn on two factor. You should, you should be two factored with a Google Authenticator app. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So basically, the way that works is is you turn it on, and basically, if you haven't logged in in that browser before, you're gonna get you're gonna get tagged, you know, uh, to to put in the Authenticator code. Um. So yeah, two factor, you know, in this case is is big, and then yeah, you so. What you said there, and I'm going to wrap it up with this, it was interesting because you did say something along the lines of what we talked about a couple weeks ago, which was, you know, uh, and you mentioned it when you talked about Amazon and then you said maybe when these companies get together, they'll start to they'll start to look at it. But then we already saw with Ring, you know, it's a similar situation that Ring didn't notify their users that they didn't have two-factor turned on and their devices got logged into by uh, scammers, hackers, whatever you want to call them. So who who owns that, really, you know? Mm -hmm. It's not that Amazon doesn't have it there for you to turn on or you to use. It's you just didn't turn it on or you didn't utilize that second level of security. And your assumption was is that Amazon's going to catch this and they're going to prompt me. And you learn real quick that that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Right. And that does beg the question If somebody over in or somebody in another part of the country. I don't think somebody overseas would log into Amazon because I don't think Amazon would send it overseas. Um, but, you know, somebody in the country logged into your account and never got prompted. You have credit cards tied to your account. Of course. So. Yeah. You know, because obviously, you know, I do know there's a security feature within Amazon. If you add a new address, you have to put in the whole credit card number again. But if, you know, you know, they could order something and send it to your house and then yep. <laughs> walked out your house and waited for it to show yeah. up. Or something. Yeah. 
you never know. There's all kinds of crazy stuff going out there. But this is all, you know, how everybody protects themselves and how people can be aware of what's going on out there. There's all these different things happening, people getting scammed. Uh, you know, businesses are scammed all the time in a similar fashion where, you know, I've heard of like secretaries or bookkeepers at companies or, you know, even quote unquote CFOs that get emails about a transaction um, that maybe they're involved in, maybe they're not. I actually, the ones I know about, you know, actually the hackers had gained access to the email account and they kind of already knew about the transaction because they were sitting there reading the emails. And then, you know, what they do is they'll send an invoice or they'll send something maybe related to a real estate transaction to somebody who's responsible for moving the money as part of their transaction. And they say, hey, you know, you know, here's your bill for this. Um, and then the numbers, the credit card, the bank account numbers there, the routing numbers there to where to send it. And the person doesn't think twice or they didn't look it over and then they send the money. Um, and once you do that, if you try to call your bank and say, hey, we made a mistake, we, you know, we want our money back. They're going to say, sorry, you're not getting your money back. Mm -hmm. um, and I've heard numbers from 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, all the way up to like 120,000, like that I know of somebody who sent $120,000 that they sent to um, an account from a fraudulent person. It was part of a real estate transaction. The title company actually, is that right? Title company? I think it's the title company that does that. But the title company or the mortgage company wired money to somebody because there was a hacker sitting on um, I think one of the real estate agents email accounts. Mm -hmm. So it happens. So um, anything you want to share with the audience before we bust out for the weekend? No, no. Looking forward to next week and um, what uh, pans out with uh, the, the articles that we talked about today, as far as the Capitol and solar winds and, you know, things like that. Yeah, we've been going a little long today. I'm not going to go into solar winds, but holy God. Um, quick update on solar winds um, for me. Uh, I don't know what you know, but I know that I saw an article in the Daily Mail that they talked to, um, I think it was an ex-employee who was kind of in charge of the cybersecurity over there. And he warned them that offshoring the development of Orion to Eastern European Eastern Europe, especially, uh, I think the way it was it was written was more or less like he warned them against sending critical pieces of Orion to Eastern Europe. Um, and now we're we're starting to hear a little bit more. I think that, and I kind of heard about this before the New York Times dropped it, but the New York Times dropped an article about this company called JetSpeed. I think it's like a Czechoslovakian. It's somewhere over there in Eastern Europe. Jetspeed was one of the companies that Orion used, and apparently they they've been comp they've been compromised. Wow. So, you know, it it's it's it, you know on the surface to me it first seemed like that maybe somebody within SolarWinds, um, you know, got compromised and was maybe paid to kind of help get this in there. But as we're seeing, you know, number one, I'm just going to be blunt about this. Stupid solar winds outsourced their source code to software that they knew that they were going to sell to government entities to Eastern Europe, which is absolutely freaking insane to me. Right. Um, you know, just think about that. You, If your business model is we're going to go sell this to government and enterprise, but we're going to outsource it to Eastern Europe and you don't have the and you're just hiring a company. It's not even your own damn people that you can vet and make sure and keep that building secure. And now this company is, is, has been compromised. So I felt like this was going to turn into a, we, at some point in time, we were going to learn of a physical breach. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we're going to learn that now. I think JetSpeed just, their network was compromised and, Whoever did this had un full unfettered access to these to their network and to their systems, and they were able to accomplish this. I think. I think that's what we're going to ultimately find out. So, um, 
I've been right in everything I predicted so far since day one on this damn attack. Everything I've said has come to fruition. So, and I think we're going to, we're going to find out the same thing. So um, what do you know? Uh, there was reports because Microsoft is actually a SolarWinds customer as well. Oh, and yeah. yeah. And then Microsoft revealed that their, their source code and source code is basically like their programming language. And they were, um, they had some leaks on that where they, they, they saw that there was an account that was able to view the source code of um, Microsoft. So that was, that was interesting as well. Yeah, that'll be, that's interesting because uh, they didn't disclose what products mm -hmm. were, were, uh, were, were hit. Um, so we'll see, um, you know, but in your opinion, like, you know, I'd like, I'd love to hear from you, like what you think them getting their hands on the source code could lead to. Well, see, and that's kind of where I go back to the example of you have to assume that the housekeeper is a hacker. You have to assume all of this thing. So Microsoft actually, when they when they build their source code, they although it's a private, you know, it's a it's private, they assume that hackers already have it. And from there, they build on that and they build on the technology and security. So um, for according to according to what I'm reading, Microsoft isn't too worried because even though they they now have that, they believe that it's not going to um, uh, the integrity of their of whatever this application that that was viewed is is going to be compromised. So. Well, let's hope. I don't know, but you know, things that cross my mind when stuff like that happens is. You know, you could have another solar wind situation on your hand where a backdoor was planted into the systems, right? Or software. You know, you know, for instance, if they got their hands on teams or office or anything like that, could they build a backdoor into um, those systems that you know allow somebody to get access to the system once they install one of those programs? The other piece of it too is you know, the way that you find the way there's two ways to find exploits. There's automated tools that run that look for certain things that tell you that, that this vulnerability exists. The other way is to actually understand source code and know how to comb through code and determine where there might be a vulnerability or you see code that's known code, like the way it's written you know that's a vulnerability or you know the way it's written you can do something once it's in production to you know that's like cross-site injecting and you know all all these fancy terms that they use for for hacking once something once a system is up and running but it gives you a, a level of intelligence around how that software operates and how it was constructed um, that a lot of other people don't have. So, you know, don't think that if this was Russia, the Russian government, the Russian military who got their hands on this stuff, don't think that they're not pouring through that, looking for ways to, looking for vulnerabilities within the code and looking for ways to see if they can, you know, further an attack by what they got their hands on. So I wouldn't brush it under the rug as, as, as easily as Microsoft did for sure. Um, but, you know, at the same time, they know what they got their hands on. So, you know, they, you know, if they feel comfortable enough to control it, um, you know, you know, you know, we'll, we'll find out in a couple yeah. of weeks what happens. We always do. So, Cool. Yeah, so uh, I'm sure we'll have a ton more updates on the solar winds next week. I know, I think the DOJ came out today and said that they were hit. Um, all their emails have been being read for like <laughs> months now, um, several months. And then uh, the, the, the judiciary branch of our government um, basically came out today and said that they were a victim of wow. as well, which is not good because like, you know, you know, whatever your political opinions are and whatever you think of everything, it's no secret that that our president right now is has been linked to Russia and, and Putin. And and, you know, these are the guys that have been accused of this. Um, 
and we also know that our our current president is you know it, he goes to court a lot he's going to be entangled in some some you know things from his businesses that are going to require him to show up in court and um you know these are these are the things and the information that countries like Russia use mm-hmm. to bribe and and uh, extort and 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 compromise people um and you know so if he's being investigated for tax crimes or whatever crime you want to put on top of him and the russians know about this yeah it just makes for a really really sketchy situation so yeah. so that's it man um, i hope you have a great weekend thanks for your time today and your insights on everything and uh I will see you later, and we're going to end the podcast now. Take care, everyone. Hey, if everyone could, if you're listening and you uh, and you are to this point in our show, uh, we would love it if you could share our content out with your, your friends and your family. Um, it only helps us want to produce more content. Obviously, Andre and I don't get any compensation or paid for this stuff, so... Uh, the only thing that we ask, if you liked anything you heard here, if you're educated in any way, um, grab the link to our podcast, share it on your social media, and uh, get more help us get more subscribers and, and spread the word about cybersecurity. So have a good, great weekend, everyone. We'll see you all next week. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.